the best time of the day show. The thing about the podcast is it's stories from everywhere. So not only stories that I've experienced, but also stories that friends of mine have experienced or things they've told me, which I warrant uh, a mention. And um, we have mentioned the Top Shelf magazine on several occasions with his friend, the late friend of mine worked. And uh, if you work for a Top Shelf magazine, you know what your market is, okay? So therefore, the rest of it is really rather pointless. But they were there beavering away, if you'll pardon the expression, uh, writing erudite articles about the Lancaster bomber and, you know, the Jew line or sort of the, the bluebell line this sort of thing where they knew knowing full well that not a single person who bought this magazine which is very successful at the time because it was pre-internet really no one would bother to read anything they'd read so it was very demoralizing from that point of view as well as everything else as well as having the uh, editor who uh, <laughs> who ignored them because they had so little uh, response from the readership because it had a letters page so what do you do you make them up and the editor never knew so therefore, they then started adding ludicrous names or anagrams for these letter writers to see whether he noticed. And one that never it went straight over his head in more ways than one was Yolanda Lancaster. Um, I tried uh, Hugh Briss, but he did actually notice that one. I thought I'd give him that one. But the best one was where a supposedly man from somewhere like Nigeria would write nearly every month. And his name was Duncan Saboti these letters he was the, the editor was delighted with these. there's a very good letter from duncan saboti coming this month and of course the three people in the demoralized editorial department would try not to snigger because duncan saboti was actually an anagram of the editor's name his name of the editor was named mr bound until kenneth bound duncan saboti is an anagram of bound is a and then one day, my mate decided to make up a letter about someone putting custard down their pants and how erotic that was. And to swipe me, if he didn't get a bat, like loads of letters suddenly, genuine letters came and going, I thought I was the only one. Oh, fantastic. Yes, I really like it. Oh, yes. And so therefore I thought, you know what? I've been trying to get, a, trying to get out of this magazine for years now to start a freelance career. I know. There's obviously a market here. Why don't I set up my own magazine for people who like custard in their underwear and other sort of foodie-related things? So what should I do? So what shall we call it? And eventually, after two or three full starts, they arrived with the expression sploshing. Sploshing for wet and messy fun lovers. And he said, it's not really so much, it's erotic, but also it's carry-on humour. It is people sitting in cakes. It's people putting bowler hats on full of custard. And there were certain no-nos. Jelly. Do not do jelly chafes, apparently. So therefore, he set up this magazine. So the early, the late 80s, there he was, starting his magazine empire. And there's more to this, and I'll tell you in another podcast, but there's so much, as he became actually world famous as a result a man who created an entirely new fetish i've had the good fortune or the misfortune if you like to interview hundreds yet hundreds of people celebrities and otherwise over the years and i can say hand on heart that 99.9 percent .9 of the people are absolutely i fabulous charming or at worst just dull but there's a few people who i have on my list who i don't really want to uh, interview ever again as a as a boy reporter lulu came to town 
and uh, so I had the press release and she arrived in the studio for a pre-recorded as live interview because we were allowed to do them in those days so you could pretend that she was in the studio even though she disappeared uh, some time before so in she came as nice as pie and I looked at the press release and we were chatting away and the tape was whirring around and uh, it said in the press release, I said, and then uh, then you said your career was completely uh, stymied by the fact that um, you being married to Maurice Gibb of the Bee Gees, he refused to let you work. There was a minor explosion at this particular point. She said, stop the tape, stop the tape. She said, how dare you say that? I go, well, it's, you know, my bottom lips started to quiver. I was only about 22. You know, when there were a few stars I'd interviewed up to that point. But, 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 but it says here, give me that. She looked, oh, for goodness sake. Various oaths came out of her mouth and said, oh, and so he carried on. But the moment had passed at that, thinking, you know what? I don't really warm. I'm not really warming to you now. And afterwards, I think she took pity on me and uh, felt perhaps she'd calmed down a bit and sort of patted me on the shoulder and left. But the plus side was I actually said on my radio show, tomorrow on the show, Lulu will be with me. And the local branch of the Lulu fan club sent the most enormous basket of flowers. Of course, she was miles away by then, so what do you do? I took them home and gave them to my girlfriend, Claire Bloom, the actress. Not necessarily unpleasant as such, but so cold as to be incredibly frosty. And she'd written her autobiography, Limelight and After. And I'd read it, because very often, you know, when you, if you're a star doing the tour, you know that 99% of the people who are interviewing you haven't even opened the book. Uh, but I had. I made it a point to actually read the book. And uh, the book was, you know... It was all about her career, but had absolutely nothing about her personal life at all. And, you know, because after all, she, I think she had an affair with Richard Burton, for instance, this sort of thing, you know. And I said, uh, not a lot about you in there, then. What do you mean? Well, it's all about your career. It's practically like a CV. There's no personal stuff in there. I don't think anybody wants to read anything personal, do you? Frosty, frosty, frosty. Uh, okay, well, it is an autobiography, so if people want sort of more than just what you've been in... No, I don't think so at all. And after I'd finished the interview, she went off to be interviewed by the arts programme that was also on the station. And when... <laughs> When we compared notes later, uh, the woman who presented the arts programme said, what did you say to her? I said, well, nothing really. Said, I just said there's not an awful lot about her personal life in the book. She went, yeah, I noticed that as well. And she was furious. I, go, I, know, I, must, I said, I cooled her down before you had a chance. And then Liz Fraser. Liz Fraser, the actress who had been in so many things. One of, uh, one of my favourite all-time films is, I think, 1951... I'm All Right Jack with Peter Sellers, in which Liz Fraser, he's, he's Fred Kite, the union leader, and his daughter is played by Liz Fraser. And uh, Liz Fraser came in, and she was, she was nice. She was obviously appearing in a review at the time. And, uh, you know, you, someday, it, to try and sort of brighten things up, you try and play ball, you know, a bit of, a, a bit of joshing, you know? With the uh, with the uh, with your interviewee, just like you know, it's not the hard news after all. Scarcely Andrew Neil, uh, and so therefore she says, "Well, of course, really, I'd like to retire to Brighton and play backgammon all day." And so I went, "Whoa, sounds great! Can I come?" And she looked at me. There was a pause. She said, "Why? Why would you want to come?" And thinking, this was live. Thinking, oh great! I said, "Well, I just such fun might be fun." Fun. Let's raise. Thank you very much, Andy. I've been very fortunate in my career and uh, when just about the time, just before I like to think Peter Mayle did that sort of uh, A Year in Provence book, um, there, with my then girlfriend, we looked at the idea of buying somewhere 
in France. And I went over and found a derelict farmhouse. Talk about English spoken here. That was an utter lie. What happened was it was the sunniest day it had been in years. Everywhere was burnt brown. There we were in Normandy. And it suddenly occurred to me from this, my halting, my very poor French, which has improved only very slightly in the last 30 years, that I was going to get this derelict farmhouse, an equally derelict barn and two big fields for about 13,000 euro, no, but francs, I think, and not even pounds. So absolute bargain. Admittedly, I couldn't go inside because we hadn't got the key to go in, but it need, we knew it needed totally refurbishing. The relationship broke down shortly after, which was a bit of a shame. So there was me lying uh, under a leaking roof in a sleeping bag on a mud floor th- with no windows, thinking, what am I doing? No one will ever love me with mice running over me. But that was another story. But after a while, it became quite habitable. But there were some sort of lean-to buildings at the end, and I thought, I don't want to get rid of those wooden things. And uh, I really like the idea of a, of a little bit of an extension. So I spoke to the builder and he went, oh, yeah, yeah no problem about that. Yeah, what we'll do is um, uh, we knock them down. The way it works in France is this, you see, providing the replacement building is no larger of the footprint of the building you knocked down, you don't need planning permission. I said, all right, that's fair enough. That's good. And so off he went and, uh, and he did all the footings and things like that and put the plumbing in. And then he phoned me up. He said, got a bit of a problem. I said, what's the problem? Uh, apparently, you do need planning permission. I said, oh, right, OK. He says, but don't worry, um, because you know the electrician? Well, yeah. His girlfriend is an architect, so therefore she'll just do it for us as a favour. I said, oh, that's good. That'll keep the costs down. Brilliant. He said, oh, by the way, um, they're coming to do a site visit today from the council. And I'm having some breeze blocks delivered. Can you get them to hide them somewhere? So when this cherry picker crane arrived with a great big, so several tons of blocks on it, we hid them behind a bush. Uh, they're very good with these cherry pickers. They can put them nearly anywhere. So therefore I said, but what happens if they say, why have you started? And there's like this terrace thing. But he said, well, if they refuse permission, you've got the most fantastic terrace with a toilet in the corner. I said, well, that's going to be great. Middle and we're not overlooked. So maybe that's OK. Off things went. And then suddenly... A problem. I got a phone call. Um, you know the architect? I said, yeah. Well, you know that the architect is the girlfriend of the electrician? I said, yeah. Well, you know the electrician was a really, really demon driver? I went, well, I didn't know that, but, you know, French drivers can be quite... It's, it's a stereotype, but it is true. They can be quite uh, quite, uh, quite tasty on the road. And, uh, yeah... Well, they just uh, re-gritted the road down near so-and-so, yeah. And you know the railway bridge? Yeah. Well, he came round the corner, yeah, too fast, yeah, and he hit the railway bridge. I said, oh, right, so uh, is he injured? Oh, it's worse than that, he's dead. Said, oh, crikey, well, that's, that's terrible. And, of course, it is terrible because, you know, your family and everything like that. But a part of you goes, what about my extension? I said, right, OK. So um, he says, so you can see the problem, can't you? said yeah i think i can i can't really phone up his girlfriend saying sorry to hear about jack by the way how are the plans coming along so we're gonna have to wait until she feels well enough if you like and recovered enough to actually let us know how she's getting on this is all right fair enough and start to finish the job took about two years which should only have taken about three months and about three or four months later i get a phone call i've been in touch with the architect ah good so things are moving ahead ah slight problem what's that She's not actually an architect. 
What do you mean she's not an architect? No, she's an architecture student, so therefore hasn't qualified yet, so therefore can't do the planning permission. So looks like I'm going to... This is builders for you. He went, so looks like I'm going to have to hire an architect. I'm not going to make any money out of this job at all. I thought, I bet you will. But it took about two years from start to finish from the moment uh, they mooted the idea of knocking the uh, these old outbuildings down, which are made of wood, and having a brand spanking new extension. So, serves me right for being middle class. Well, as we're getting close to Christmas, you're probably like me, doing that thing where you're going, right, OK, a few days left. Oh, my God, I better do it now, because you hadn't done the shopping. So, some years ago, um, in the days of when CD players were state-of-the-art, um, the then-girlfriend's daughter rather liked the idea of having a CD player, a portable CD player, like a boomboxy type thing for Christmas. I said, all right, fair enough. You know, you've been good all year. What we'll do is we'll, you know, if you carry on being good, we'll see what Santa brings. So I went to a well-known departmental store which specialises in hi-fi, etc., and vacuum cleaners, and there was a huge display with 30 or 40 different CD players all chained together, but all there. And I thought, okay. So an assistant came rushing over. I said, hello there, I'm after a CD player. She said, brilliant. I said, um... So, uh, I quite like the look of that one. Oh, we haven't got that in stock. Okay. Um, that looks... No, I haven't got that in stock either. That one? Sold out. That? No, it's gone too. What... Ha- and after genuinely, I said, what have... I said, can I buy anything, you know, ex-demonstrated? No, we don't do that. Not our policy. Give us a clue, okay? Which ones have you got left? This is why you must get your Christmas shopping in early, otherwise all the stock's gone. And she pointed to two. They're genuinely, after sorry, seemingly 30 or 40, there's two of them. Went, right, OK. And they were two, and they were the same, exactly the same price, you know, 99 99 or whatever those sort of things. OK, fair enough. So I said, OK, uh, which one's the best one, in your opinion? And she thought for a while and looked at them. And she pointed to... Uh, that one okay so tell me i could see this coming and i think you can as well okay tell me tell us the uninitiated why that is a better one than the other one for the identical price uh it's a good it's a good make all right so therefore you've pointed to a philips cd player and the other one is a sony doesn't that make it a good make as well she says, well, I suppose it does. So, now, be honest with me. I'm not being unkind or anything like that, but just own up. You have no idea what you're talking about, do you? And she went, actually, no. I went, thank you. And I bought the Sony. The best time of the day show is back Monday. Please, please stay. Best Time of the Day show is a Loading Zone production. La-di-da.